Welcome to the Story Podcast, Episode Four. I am Harris the Third, and I'm here with my always consistent co-host, Sammy Harvey. Wow, thank you. Sammy always consistent. Got, I always really consistent. like that. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> just got back from Portland. Yes, I was in Oregon. My sister-in-law got married, and I was nice. bridesmaid. It was really lovely. How was the weather? Lovely as always. Lovely as always. It's been so hot here in Nashville. I'm like dreaming of going somewhere else, but it's changing. Fall is almost here. Is yeah. it? Wait, is it officially fall? I'm not What's sure. the actual date? The start Brandon date of fall? and I, my husband, were just talking about that. I was like, maybe Labor Day, and he's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not. It's way too hot. I need to look that up. I'm sure. super excited for fall. Me too. So we're almost here, and Story is almost here. We're yes. like weeks away now instead of a month away. It's crazy. It's going to be here before we know it. But I'm really excited about this episode of the Story Podcast because we got to sit down with CJ Cassiata. Cassiata. I know. We always want to say his name. It's such a cool name. I love his name. It's awesome. And it's so fitting because he's such a cool guy. Yes. Um, and he grew up on Long Island. So I feel like it's like he has that Italian, like, you know, even uh, every now and then he'll talk like. He he'll talks say with something his hands a lot. Like the whole interview, just imagine him just like using his hands and you're just like wow you're so like, like I a love passion. your passion I see like an Italian your in the street passion. like arguing yeah. if you could see our hands right now this would make so much more sense <laughs> but they can't see our hands so now we just sound like oh gosh doofuses that's not even a cool word I just said doofuses, doofuses. you're a hundred Harris <laughs> well we talked a little bit about hipsters and millennials on this podcast uh, episode or this this conversation with CJ and so I just confirmed that I am indeed not a cool hipster by using the word doofus <laughs> and using the word hipster Yes. Now, now I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Oh, Let's man. just roll this conversation. Super excited to sit down with CJ. He runs his own podcast called Sounds Like a Movement. Um, now he's traveling, touring, speaking on the subject of being weird, uh, which is a great topic for us because story tribe members are very weird indeed. And that's what makes it so awesome. So yeah, excited for this interview. Here we go. Our conversation between me and Sammy and CJ Cassiot. CJ, so excited that Sammy and I get to sit down and talk to you. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Absolutely. We are, uh, I'm going to, let me, I need to start with a confession. I haven't even told Sammy this, but this is probably the most selfish podcast conversation we'll have in the history of the story (laughs) podcast so far, because I consider CJ to be somewhat of a genius. Um, And in this transition in my life of moving from performer, entertainer, speaker, storyteller myself to leading this tribe of storytellers called Story. Um, he's kind of been this like go-to source of really amazing information. Mm. Uh, he's sort of an expert marketing, branding, communications guru. He's over here shaking his head no right now because he's so <laughs> humble, which is another reason why everyone loves him. But um, gosh, just his resume is amazing. He's worked with incredible organizations like Charity Water, amazing companies like Whole Foods, uh, so we're super excited to sit down with him and I'm hoping this conversation turns into what I wanted to turn into, which is me learning a ton myself, which I know is going <laughs> to happen. So yeah, let's, let's jump right in. So a lot of people know you CJ as this guy from sounds like a movement. Um, this other podcast, uh, which I was a guest on a you while were. back, loved it. So good. Um, yeah. Tell it, give us the, give us the, the down low on sounds like a movement and where that is today. 
Yeah, we are actually just ramping up season three, which should be out in a couple of weeks. And basically, it sounds like a movement is is just these interviews with, with people that have these weird, strange ideas to make the world, or at least their world, a better place. And I just started finding all these. Some of them were my friends. Some of them were people I just said, man, they're doing some cool stuff. What if I reached out to them and emailed them and see if they would talk for a while? And so I've collected kind of surprisingly this group of weirdos, pioneers, make-believers, strange dudes and women <laughs> I who love it. are using their creativity, which is something you guys are really passionate about and do awesome, is like using their creativity to change things for the better. And so I'm super excited about this next season because we're interviewing a guy who basically rehabbed this whole entire neighborhood in like the worst part of down of, of uh, Southside Chicago. Wow. Uh, by reimagining former drug houses. So cool. Yeah, and so we've interviewed a, a, a radical feminist nun. We've interviewed... <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I mean, just I, people... I, I need a second for that to sink in, yeah, like process seriously. what that is. A radical feminist nun. Okay, yep. all right. Amazing. <laughs> so we, really interesting, weird people is what yeah, you're saying. A guy who lives in Iraq by choice. <laughs> he just decided, I'm going to live in Iraq and like help people wow. figure out like how to make peace in one of the most conflict-ridden zones mm. we can think of in our in our world. And so just weird people with weird ideas. Alongside I, people like Seth Godin. Right, yeah, who's just the epitome of weird in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. So when did this idea strike you? Like, when did you have the... When was this podcast born in your head? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. We started off by just gathering friends in our living room and kind of doing like Ted in the living room. We started recording it and then that turned into this this podcast. We just had a, a bunch of folks where we were living that were starting these strange ideas, whether they were, were artists, musicians, social entrepreneurs. We said, man, it'd be really cool just to get them all together and to, you know, break out some drinks, some snacks and just hear their story. And then mm-hmm. somebody had the foresight to go, you know, we should probably like record these things. I'm like, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> and that's how it started. Oh, take us back before that. So before that happened, obviously um, there was some influence or some leadership taking place to even be able to gather those people in the same space to have those conversations. How did you get started in this whole thing? I don't know if it was influence or leadership. I think it was just the stupidity to to ask where most people would go. Ah, maybe it's a, maybe you shouldn't open your house to complete strangers <laughs> and try and put on like Ted and well when I was when I was like five years old uh, my dad took me to see Peter Pan it was on Broadway okay and he was trying to explain to me how the harness it like how the the flying work they were connected oh, he was to telling you the secrets oh, to the I, magic I couldn't dude that was like exactly <laughs> that was how my brain just functioned and I loved it but I couldn't understand like the disconnect between I'm like okay so a harness exists I want to fly <laughs> Dad, what's the price? What do I have to do? How do we do it? How do we get one in our house? I want to put on production of Peter Pan. We'll invite some friends over. And I remember we were like, we were sitting on the train, like coming home from New York City. And he was just trying to explain to me that they weren't on the market. And I just, my five-year-old brain could not comprehend that. I was very disappointed. So there's this weird sort of like streak in me that just doesn't, that just doesn't understand like social boundaries so hey <laughs> hi Seth Godin like do you think you would you know do this no-name podcast and some people say yes and some people say no and that's been this weird story I've been a part of yeah so that was on Broadway so you're living in New York at the time yeah so yep. you grew up, grew in, up in Long Island New York yeah how was that 
It was it was awesome. I mean, my wife says like if I didn't move from uh, from Long Island to California, I'd probably be one of those guys with like the spray tan and like the gold chain and the you know the guys that you see in like New Jersey. What was it called like uh, what was the New Jersey show like Sturgis Shores? Sturgis Shores. Jersey so. Shores. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> But it was fun. It was really cool. I, I loved growing up in New York. What what role do you feel like being that close to the city played in where you are today? Do you feel like that kind of uh, played a role in the trajectory of what so. you do for a living now? Yeah, I just always loved you know uh, the the theater and production and media, and that was just sort of like like born into me, and just being so close to like where all of that stuff happened, um, and then wanting to go. I, I think. Yeah, I think wanting to go to California and like study in LA and everything. I think that that combo of New York and LA is just always like I need to go to those two cities at least a couple of times a year to like stay sane because mm. there's just something about both of those places that are so so much home to me, you know. Yeah. How did the, how did you find the balance between being inspired by New York's art and also it obviously inspired your role in communication, marketing, advertising, branding because it's kind of a heart I mean, I don't know. I mean, I left when I was 18. So a lot of people, like people are surprised when they're like, you don't know your way around the city. I'm like, no, I wasn't allowed to like, you know, go and hang out in the city and everything. Um, so it's like, I'm still exploring New York, but I just remember it being, well, I remember when the, the, the big bulls were out in New York that Mm -hmm. first, I I forget what kind of campaign that was, but it was just my dad would always take me downtown because he worked downtown. He worked actually a block away from the World Trade Center. He actually saw the second plane wow. outside wow. of his window hit. I remember he came home with ashes that day, and it was really that was nuts. But yeah, I just I just remember thinking a lot of stuff that probably isn't normal to the rest of the country being very normal. Like people, hmm. my dad he worked with a guy who his wife was a line producer for Sesame Street, so. I grew up really loving the Muppets, and mm-hmm. when we were kids, he got me and my brother onto the set of Sesame Street, and we met Carol Spinney, who played Big Bird, and that was just sort of like normal for us, you know? And so that was, I mean, it, it, thinking about it, it probably shaped me a lot more than I give credit for. Mm. Yeah. I was, so I'm really intrigued by this, because it sounds like up until the age of 18, there was no, like, looking up to admin or the epicenter of marketing, you know, in America, like you didn't really see it. New York wasn't that for you. It was this magical artistic theater, you know, kind of was man. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then fast forward, you're 18, you make the transition to the opposite side of the country on the West coast. What did that, what did that look like for you? Man, that was really fun. That was that was, your whole family? You went? No, to just me. I went to school you. out there. Yeah, okay. I went to school out there, and that was—I mean, just like any kind of college experience, it just opened up my world to what was what was me versus what my family was. What you know, what what could I find out and discover and explore on my own versus what stuff was sort of handed to me. And, and I was lucky that my both my parents were just very—they were very supportive of like whatever I I did. So it wasn't like I was removing myself from a negative, you know, Mm -hmm. negative family or negative, you know, identity, but it was a chance to really go, man, well, what else is out there? And what was really fun about my college experience is I finally met all these other people, you know, growing up in New York, growing up in, in high school, you know, I was the guy who wanted to get the camcorder, who wanted to understand what iMovie was and Final Cut was when like the Mac was kind of first becoming this tool where you can actually do stuff. And then I go to California but I was super I was just super weird in my high school because no one nobody was thinking that in a way like we're making movies like we're just trying to make it through 
social studies class, you know? <laughs> but I go to California and I meet all of these people my age who are like, we have the same dreams that you do and we've been mm. thinking the same thing and let's make films. I remember GarageBand came out like the first, <laughs> my freshman year of college and we just did the stupidest, dumbest stuff on GarageBand. We thought it was so cool back then, but like we would just get in our dorm rooms and like, you know, record these songs and it was just, uh, it was a real... It kind of felt like sponsored by Apple because uh, they, they, they like made us get you know the, uh, they made us get the the MacBooks the little um, sure. the little laptops at that point and it really was this like oh what is this piece of software what could we do what can like mm. and it was a, it was kind of a cool little renaissance you know personal renaissance of like oh wow like I didn't even know this stuff was possible and it was really cool to find community and find friends that had that same desire and that same drive. Mm. I'm so like. I'm so I'm still super intrigued right now because I'm I keep trying to find this connection this connecting point where you transition from this creative world that was inspiring you and then all of a sudden you go into what a lot of people wouldn't consider the arts Mm -hmm. or a lot of people consider that it requires creativity but branding isn't in communication and marketing whatever word you want to use for it most people don't consider that a part of the arts and so I'm really intrigued to find and figure out what is, what's that, what was yeah. the source of that transition? How did you go from being overwhelmed by all these creative arts to all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. I'm supposed to be the branding guy? I've thought a lot about that recently because I, I, I didn't really understand it either. But I think what it was, it was two things. Is one, my strength has always been, or the, things I, the thing I've really enjoyed doing more than designing or being a cinematographer, those are stuff that I, I, I guess I can kind of do, but I'd rather give to somebody who like really loves that world. But I'm a writer. I love writing, and that just never that's never gone away. And then the other thing too is I've always been like a really spiritual person, and have been fascinated by the soul and how we're not just these binary beings, but we have like all these different things sort of going on that make us human. And so those two things. Uh, writing and then this kind of like weird fascination with the soul made me go okay but then also being creative too right made me go like well what about those three things can I offer to organizations to companies and I didn't even understand what branding was I didn't know what branding meant but I found myself kind of growing up alongside social media and becoming sort of the token <laughs> the token yeah. millennial like he knows how to use Facebook like let's hire him to, and I was like oh, I don't know I'm just I'm on this thing but finding myself asking questions of these organizations who were like hey can you make us a cool website hey can you make us sound good on Facebook it was like well first I need to know like who you are like mm. what your story is like what your heart beats for what your purpose is and then I need to be able to communicate that in a way that's like interesting, compelling, and creative to people through a word that I found out was later copy. That's you know, it was copy. Yeah. I thought copy was like something that you know a you do on a Xerox machine. Yeah. Or um, so I think that's kind of how I made like I, I made the transition from just pure. And I always and I think that's still a a balance that I try. I don't do very well, and I feel like a lot of creators are sort of in that camp of like, well. Yeah, we do this thing called creative directing or branding or marketing or messaging, and that helps pay the bills because companies want that. But we really have this this desire to just sort of do all that stuff for our own project. And I've always I've always tried to balance the two, sometimes mm-hmm. well and sometimes not. So yeah, yeah. I mean that's being human. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. 
So take us through some of that process. So you are, you're, you're going, you're realizing these, these few things that you're interested in where they intersect. Um, so now you're starting to realize what your strength is and you have maybe not a light bulb moment like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But it sounds like this gradual transition into realizing that you have this strength to help people understand their messaging. Yeah. So now when someone like a whole foods or a charity water or whoever, when they call you up and be like, Hey, Hey CJ, you're the guy that helps people understand how to focus on how weird we are. Yeah. We don't know what you're talking about yet. We want you to help us understand that. Give us a glimpse into some of the process that you walk them through. Yeah, and, and Charity Water was cool because we, we never really, like, they never, like, hired me or anything. We just did, like, um, they, they had me come to and speak to their sure. staff on something. So, um, But, but uh, they're weird. But they're weird. They're a yeah. weird organization. So, um, yeah, usually. So you're asking, like, what the process is that mm-hmm. I would take them through? Yeah, I mean, I know I'm not paying you the, the, the thousands of <laughs> dollars that you need to do. So... Yeah, essentially, it comes down to figuring out the thing that makes you weird as an organization or as a company or even just, you know, as a leader, as an individual. What What is weird? Yeah, weird is that thing that we're usually afraid of because we've been taught to stuff it down mm-hmm. and we've been taught to conform and be like everybody else. But it's the thing that once we actually bring it to life and bring it to the surface and have the courage to... to speak ends up identifying us in the midst of a sea of same hmm. right and so charity water is actually a really great example it kind of leaned into this weird idea of well what if we did nonprofit work just a little bit differently than all of the other nonprofits that were sort of out there what if we use different imaging and different messaging and different technology that's a weird idea because it's nobody's really ever done that before and the the possibility of failure is pretty high. The market mm-hmm. may not respond to it very well at all. But it's in our weirdness that we end up really helping others the most because we're all weird. And at the end of the day, the truth is, is that if you resonate with something that's unique inside you, the strange way about how the universe works is most of the time there's somebody else out there who has a similar inkling and a similar resonance within their soul and within their identity and all of a sudden you begin to attract all of those like-minded weirdos together and you build something beautiful together i love that it's a great explanation yeah so where where are the mistakes that they make then because you know our natural tendency is to run away from what it sounds like you're referring to as weirdness right so we're trying to go oh this is weird we got to cover that up or talk about something else so we can try to fit in what are the some of the common mistakes and pitfalls you see people making in their branding well i think there's kind of like a rubbernecking scenario that happens a lot where you're looking you know to the right and to the left of you going oh i wonder what that company's doing i wonder what that organization's doing i wonder what that leader is doing what's that person doing on social Mm -hmm. media and that's usually not a very good place to begin i mean there's all you know if you're doing it for inspiration's sake absolutely but the thing that's going to make you stand out is the thing that only you can bring to the world. And that, that's that's born inside of you. And sometimes it just takes a, a while to excavate that. And like I said, you know, I don't care if this, if you're 18 years old and listening to this, or if you're a CEO of a massive organization, most of us have been taught, have been conditioned to stuff the things that make us weird from a very early age. It could have been a parent, it could have been a coach, it could have been a, a peer, it could have been a teacher. 
and the thing that usually the hardest thing to do is to go you know what that that thing that i'm afraid to actually bring to the surface the thing that i is really risky what if people don't like it what if people don't resonate with it what if people don't understand it that's usually that's usually the point where you're on the right track and so there's a, a, a somebody who i interviewed a, a while ago named rob bell he was saying like you could you can run the same company as somebody you can try and compare yourself to somebody else but the fact that you are doing it yourself like it's coming through your own dna means it's going to come out differently like we, we sometimes we sort of obsess with like how am i unique now you are you were like genetically scientifically you are unique you were born with a, a certain strain of dna that mm-hmm. nobody else has so run with that you know mm. yeah what uh how do you someone if someone doesn't know how they're weird is there some sort of process that That's you take them question. through or questions that you ask them? Or is there like a, yeah, is like a two hour test you take and it gives you, a, <laughs> right. it gives you this a is number. How you're weird. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's the initially just starting off with the realization that I am weird and that is good. And there's nothing that I can do not to be weird. I can try and conform and I can try and fit in, but the so reality we're all weird is we're somehow. all, we're all weird somehow. Okay, which is a weird thing because, <laughs> like, I think there's a. Uh, now that I'm hearing you talk about it this way, I think the whole bunch of people are like. Usually, we're thinking I'm not normal. I'm so weird, and so therefore we try to fit in. But mm-hmm. then when I hear you describe weird, my natural inclination is to go, "Oh, well, weird sounds like such a good thing." I don't think I'm that weird. I don't think I have something mm. that's cool to offer now yeah. that I know that weird yeah. is cool. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. So how do we? What do you say to someone who's like, "Oh, now that I hear you describe weird, I'm I'm not weird. I don't have anything special about me." Well, you're saying we, hey, all, that's not we true. all do, yeah. And and two, it's usually the thing that you're afraid to do that sounds really risky. That sounds like it might not work. It sounds like people may not resonate with it. And then three, it's it's sitting down with it. Like I, again, I'll take organizations. I'll take people through a process that I call them like the six P's, and it it, it helps people sort of understand and bring context and bring some words to this is where the writing comes in, right? Like sometimes just being able to speak out the things that make us weird and put them on paper, look at them and go, okay, well, wow, I never, yeah, that's just like been in my head this whole time. And so the six P's are, you know, what's your purpose? Uh, what's your position? When that's essentially like, how do you stand in the midst of a CSM? Or what do you stand for? How do you stand out? The next one is uh, a parable, which is like a, a story. But parables are really cool because they're short, <laughs> mm-hmm. and but they communicate a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Personality traits is the the uh, fourth one. Um, principles, organizations, individuals who are weird, they stand by these principles. They're like, we must do this. We have to do this. And if we don't do this, we cease to be weird and we cease to exist. We will die inside. If you look at any, like Southwest, if you look at any organization that's like just killing it right now, it's because they've decided these are the things that we must do, we have to do, there are principles. And then finally, a promise. What are you, what are you gonna wake up in the morning as a leader, as an organization, as a movement, and go, I promise the people that I care for, the people that I'm responsible for, this not just internally but like your customers like for story like what do you what can you go i'm gonna i'm gonna die on this hill before i break this promise to everybody who's going to story you know everybody who listens to this podcast everybody who joins this tribe called story gathering 
So it's really walk. If if I'm working with an organization or an individual, like I'll walk them through that process and just ask them a couple of questions that help them really craft those different messages together. And then I can kind of like wordsmith and sometimes speak speak truth where they can't see the the, mm-hmm. the through line. And that's just that that's not because I'm smart or anything. It's just because I'm another dude in the room. Yeah. Like I'm another person in the room. Yeah. So yeah, and perspective. You know, yeah. perspective is powerful because right. perspective, I I think, is this this uh, collection of life experiences that have shaped who you are, and yeah. it changes the way you see things. And because someone else hasn't lived that same life that mm-hmm. you have, you always have the ability to have perspective that applies to yeah. their situation they can't see. And we can um, all do that so easily for other people, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we just can't do it for ourselves because we're we're so in it. We're so like kind of buried within the details. And sometimes it's just really great to have somebody come in from the outside and go, Hmm, have you thought about it this way? Like, mm. No. How come I haven't thought about this? Cause you're just, you, you can't like, you need somebody else yeah. to come in and speak. I'm curious what, what other brands out there that you feel like are doing this really well that are celebrating their weirdness and nailing yeah. the messaging of it. Gosh, I love Airbnb. <laughs> Yeah, okay. there's one of my favorite. Their their whole promise is like uh, belong anywhere, and mm-hmm. I really feel like they're they're creating. They're not really creating a brand. They're creating a a community. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like a very hipster millennial thing to say, but <laughs> uh, I have a I did a little ebook a, a while ago called "Branding is for Cows, Belonging is for People," <laughs> and it's essentially <laughs> that the idea is like when you when you brand something. If you look at the, the I mean, I'm a words guy, right? If you look at the definition of branding, historically, it's singeing your identity into something else, like a, like a cattle. Like how, and if you, if you Google pictures of branding cattle, I mean, I love a good steak, but I temporarily like wanted to sign up for PETA at that moment. Because it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's usually a pretty contentious process for the cow. Sure. Yeah. And so what if kind of the future of storytelling and the future of helping people resonate with, with meaningful, weird ideas wasn't necessarily about singeing our identity into them saying, you have to do this in order to belong. You have to look like this. You have to act like this. But what... If it was about creating opportunities for them to be their true self. And that's what I feel like Airbnb does really well. Where you go, look, we're going to create an entire business model that allows you to benefit from the thing that makes you most unique. Your most unique expression of yourself is most likely your house. The space that you live in. Like if you walk into my house, it's a very accurate perception a reflection of, of who I am individually, who my family is individually. Right, right. And so that allows you and allows me if I'm if I'm having a guest come in to to benefit financially from that. Um, just from knowing possibly something. I'm has I've had some great conversations both as a guest mm. and a host at Airbnb. So I feel like that's sort of the shift that we're beginning to see, kind of the shift from from branding, from identity singeing <laughs> yeah. to to belonging. This might seem like an off-topic question. I'm really curious your thoughts. You, you know, you and a whole bunch of other, we often joke around about some of the things that you just said, which is, I know that's very, like, a millennial thing. Or like an <laughs> thing. Well, it came but, out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, that's just, there's someone going <laughs> to... Well, no, oh, I'm genuinely curious, because I think about this. I, I have a hard time uh, relating to millennials, even though Google would say I'm in the millennial age yeah, group. Yeah, me too. Um, and as part of it's just, you know, I was touring, like, as a young teenager, and I was spending all my time with 
old people that were older with me. Mm -hmm. And so I actually relate more to the generation ahead of me than the generation that Google says I belong to. Interesting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so I hear people say things like, oh, that's such a hipster word or that's such a millennial word. How, How do we know what those words are? Because I guess in defense of millennials and defense of hipsters, they're not gone yet. And right. so we don't know if they're going to outlive them. I guess if, would you say that if a word outlives a hipster or a millennial, that means that it's no longer labeled as a hipster word because it lasted longer hipster. than that? That's so funny. Devin. Why? Why? <laughs> I, I don't know. Hipster is such a weird word to me. It seems very outdated. Really? Oh yeah. Do hipsters <laughs> refer hipster to themselves as hipsters? No, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. And everybody has a different definition of what yeah. a hipster is. I know. That's why it's not a good word. Well, people that are older than me are like, Harris, you're such a hipster. I'm like, I am not a I hipster. I think that's <laughs> the only way they know how to describe like a certain style, like a certain dress. Like, So you clothes. think it's like more fashion related? I think it's more fashion related and maybe lifestyle too. I think all of this is probably the best way we can describe what what's currently moving in culture right now, mm. from fashion yeah. to ideas. So when I said, oh, I'm using the word authentic and whatever whatever mm. I said, it was like, yeah, that's kind of a reflection of where I think pop culture is headed. Mm-hmm. And so... So the words that we call, that's such a millennial word or such a hipster word, if those are still around 30, 40 years from now, does that yeah. mean they weren't necessarily millennial words? They well, were just- it's cyclical, right? I mean, that's why you look at a picture of, of Bob Dylan and you go like, wait, was, was that from like yesterday or was <laughs> that from the 1960s? You know, and mm-hmm. the stuff he was talking about, hey, the times, they're changing, come gather the prophets and the poets and the critics, you know, it's like, he just could have said with your iPhones instead of your pens, you know, and it's <laughs> like, there's not a whole, it's, it's uh, there's nothing new under the sun, which is why, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but you know, everything happening even politically today in the, you know, the, um, the election and everything, you go like, yeah, like power corrupts. Like that's a, that's not a new thing. Like right. this is like, it's, it sucks, but like, yeah, this is not like, oh my goodness, can you believe this is happening? There's these two people and none of them are good. It's like, yeah, that's actually, you look at Rome back in, you know, yeah. zero AD. Like, so anyway. So those are movements then. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. so. So if those are movements, what determines whether a movement lasts or dies out? Hmm. Hmm. What makes a movement have longevity? Yeah, I think I think the word movement. I mean, I remember Donald Trump calling him calling his move his movement a movement, and I said, well, hang on. First of all, just because you call a campaign that has traction a movement does not necessarily make it a movement. Hmm. You know, uh, campaigns their 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 responsibility is to build hype. Movements build hope. Hmm. If so, you're going to, I think you should say that again. <laughs> campaigns build hype. Movements build hope. Hmm. So, would you say that the word campaign is replaceable? There's a lot of things that build hype. Not yeah, just absolutely. Campaigns. And if you look at true movements that have done good in the world, like if you, and I'm, again, that, that's my definition of movement. You know, sure. obviously, you can. There's a lot of different definitions, but you know, movement is is something with a ton of force, a ton of people around it that together has created, has made something better than it was the day before. Mm. And so when you look at those things, you don't really see, you see a leader, but what you remember more is the community that gathered around that leader. Mm, I really love that. That's yeah. cool. And so I know there's a lot of different definitions of, of movement. The word, the definition that I use the most is the definition that has to do with the symphonic musical term of a movement. What is a movement in a symphony, right? 
it's a it's a singular unique piece that combined with other pieces creates this beautiful symphonic masterpiece so a lot of times we're going after the symphony we want to create the symphony what we should be understanding is that like no like we're we're a movement within like and it takes other movements it takes other people to create a masterpiece to create change to create mm-hmm. the thing of beauty that we want to see so, so cool so what you're saying is it's important to be in collaboration with Absolutely. others to be a part of a movement yeah and understand that you're different you're weird that mm-hmm. your your note your piece your instrument whatever you want to call it is uniquely designed for a purpose and it only really works to its maximum potential mm-hmm. and beauty when it's combined with other instruments and other parts and other pieces that together in collaboration create this thing that we can all look back and go, wow, that was, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. You don't stare at the conductor mm-hmm. in a symphony. Right. Your eyes go all over the place. Your ears go all over the place. Like, can I hear that part? Can I hear that part? And the beautiful part is it, of it when your senses just sort of all take a step back and you see everything and you hear everything collectively. I love that. I'm going to remember this for a long time, I think. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's so good. Well, uh, you're talking at Story 2016. I'm super excited. I think people listening to this now will understand why I so desperately (laughs) wanted you to give a short talk there. Um, And without giving away too much about what you're talking about, I remember you and I having coffee months ago, and we both met after a conference, I think. Yeah, um, then we connected. met in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. we're here in Nashville and uh, we grab coffee. And I was like, what are you thinking about lately? And he's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm just realizing in, re- in regards to storytelling, there's a big difference between storytelling and story selling. And instantly I was hooked. I was like, this is an amazing concept. Please tell me more. <laughs> and so without giving away too much of that idea or that talk, um, break that idea down for us in a, sh- in a brief moment. Well, yeah, I mean, storytelling has been around for a really long time. Like, for a really, really long time. Like, it's basically how we know about the world. So people have been storytellers long before people have been something called, called story sellers. And it's this, it's this tension, I think, that we feel as, as human beings who want people to resonate with their ideas that story is really, really powerful. So powerful that if we wanted to, we could manipulate people's opinions and actions using story. And marketers have done that for years. And, and I don't even know if that's necessarily always a bad thing. Sure. But I don't ever want to confuse the two. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to confuse the two because story itself, standing alone, is really, really important. And that alone has the power to change minds. There's the, the, the radical feminist nun that I interviewed named Sister Simone Campbell. She's a lobbyist. She lobbies for the rights of the poor and marginalized in Washington, D.C. So she, like, spars and, like, hangs out with Paul Ryan, and it's just awesome. And then Paul Ryan, like, defends her, even though, like, they disagree about a lot of stuff. It's, like, it's, it's she's amazing. She's, like, 75, total badass. So... She talks about the difference between story and shtick because she's seen a lot of shtick in her life, right? <laughs> she goes to all of these conventions and she goes, you know what the difference between story and shtick is? Is, is shtick is if you like this story and you try and insert it into your speech 
or your lobby to get what you want. Story is when I hear a narrative from you directly and my my heart breaks because of it. Mm-hmm. Like there's this empathetic nature. Then I'm, I'm never the same. I've, I've, I've changed. And so I just want to make sure as we become a culture, let's go back to the hipster millennial, <laughs> where, where story is just a really big thing. It's like, let's, let's make sure that we know the difference between story and shtick, the difference between storytelling and story stuff. Right, right. Because ah. story is a gift. It's a gift to others. Yeah. So good, man. I can't wait to hear your talk. I'm, like everything inside of me is like, just go ahead and give it to us now, just so <laughs> I can hear it now. Uh, super excited about it. Well, uh, I know Sammy's got a few questions for you. We always we always finish uh, as many of our episodes as possible when we have time of just uh, wrapping up our conversation just with a few little quick questions. And what's interesting is we, I always preface it with that, like quick questions, but lately they've been turning into these like really deep, meaningful conversations. <laughs> I know. Uh, that, means that means they're good questions. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're good questions. <laughs> I know last week with Cole, you know, it's like, what's your favorite, whatever. And next thing you know, we're talking about like half an hour. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's any conversation with, with Cole. Yes, that's true. That's true. Cole is one of my favorite people. He wrote a book called spiritual innovation a couple of years ago that just, I think everybody needs to read. Like he's just mm. a great dude. Love it. Speaking of books, what is your favorite book? Oh my goodness. I think right now it's, I'm, I'm starting to read, I'm going to start reading Don Quixote because Tell I'm really more. fascinated by that idea that, you know, that windmill scene where he's like, no, those are giants. And like, he's like what are you talking about? This is windmills. We need, we need people who have the imagination and the foresight to go, I see something that maybe you, the rest of you don't see, mm. but it's worth fighting for. Well, I've got a follow-up question to that just because I'm really curious. Is there a book that you've gifted a lot in your lifetime? Yes. Um, what to do when it's your turn. I've started gifting. It's, it's pretty new, but anybody who I know who's graduating from something, who wrote it's that? by Seth Godin. It's Seth okay. Godin's cool. latest book. And it's just, it's just really great for anybody who's like making a transition in life. Ooh, I want to go get that. Yeah, it's really good. It's really colorful and everything. And he makes you buy them in, in spurts of two or more. So I'm always got, I always have one like in my closet uh, yeah. going, you know, okay, right, here you go. Sammy will be covered <laughs> yeah. then because libraries buy books in two or more, right? What? He, Sammy always goes to the library. I love that about her. Oh, yeah. I, She's I a huge library, library person. I and I always to, forget that libraries exist. Well, until, it's and amazing. It's like a free bookstore. Why wouldn't you go? So I had a kid. I have a kid. I had a kid. And yeah, I had a kid. We got rid of him. <laughs> she's cute. Uh, she's she's a really, really cute. cute kid. Yeah, she's so adorable. she's been going to the library lately. So I came back to the library and I wanted to check out a book. And I had to ask the librarian. I'm like, so is, uh, is the Dewey Decimal System still a thing? Are we still doing that? And they're like, yeah, it's alive and well, guys. It's alive. And well, the Dewey oh, Decimal System. Gosh. It's That's strong amazing. as ever. Takes me back to my childhood. I need to go. You've inspired me. I need to go to the library. I need to take Let's my go. kids to the Dewey. library. Dewey, yeah. thank you for your contribution to yes. society. <laughs> All right. Our second question. I'm going to formulate this a little bit differently for you. Usually Ooh. we ask, what's something people don't know about you that seems crazy? People don't know me in general. So whatever, <laughs> oh like, what is no. something that people don't know about I'm you? I'm talking about like, literally the masses any- <laughs> here. I'm like, talking about like your family, your friends. Like, But I want to formulate the question to be, like, what's something weird about you? Oh, gosh. Well... I live in this weird, and I feel like Cole is kind of a similar personality. It's like I live in this weird tension of like, I look like a hipster, I dress like a hipster, but I'm really like a 65 year old man. Like, 
that is I couldn't a, isn't that a hipster though? I don't know. It's like as soon as I had a lawn, I couldn't wait to tell kids to get off my lawn. Like stop. Yeah. Like, I just, I just. Oh my gosh. I just my dream in life is like to get up at six o'clock in the morning, read the paper, and drink like the worst cup of coffee with like my best friend. You know, you want to drink the canes. worst cup of coffee? Yeah, like I just Old want that life. Or something like, like I that. want that right. Like you I know, wanna... bad bad coffee is the reason why I I, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> like when I was a little kid, my grandmother I don't know what it was. I'm pretty sure it was Folgers or something yeah. like that because I remember the big blue cans. Yeah. Um, and I tried her coffee at like eight or nine years old, and I kid you not, ran straight to her kitchen, gagged over the trash can, and haven't yeah. had a sip of coffee oh, since then. That's really dramatic. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. that's amazing. Good so he's an, he's an old. They've really man. come a long so you're way. An old, you're old an old man, man at heart. Body. I am. <laughs> old I love soul. it. All right. So last question: What have you found to be your greatest source of inspiration, especially whenever you're in a rut? Whoa, that's a good question. So I said in the beginning, um, I'm a pretty spiritual person, right. and there are are moments, especially when I feel in a rut, that I'm reminded. Or somebody, somebody reminds me, or something reminds me, that I'm part of a bigger narrative mm. than the chapter I'm like so worried about, like what the next sentence is. And usually that comes in the form of a conversation with a friend, or an email from like out of nowhere, or um, a whisper from you know from from what I would call the you know the spirit. And those are the things that cause me to keep getting up in the morning when it's really hard and it feels yeah. like I'm shooting ideas into space sometimes and nobody's listening or whatever. And so uh, I, I'm, just, I'm sure it's super ambiguous of an answer, but that's kind of the best answer I can give you of going like, there there are these moments, and there's and there's been moments lately where I've been like, I don't want to, like, I'm not cut out for this. Like, don't want to do this. I'd really love to just check out of the matrix right now or like plug back into the matrix, whatever you call it. And there's been these very like tangible like markers that are going, ah, I'm not, yeah, but I'm not like, I'm not done with you. Like, I don't want you to do that. Like, yeah, you can do that if you really want to, but I don't want you to do that. Hmm. So nobody's weird in the matrix. Nobody's weird in the matrix. And I think for a while I've I really struggled with like the cuz I don't I don't buy into the you know um a lot of the messaging out there that's like create the life you dream of and but I mean sometimes like we're just like our grandparents were just, I think this is a 65 year old coming out right now. It's <laughs> like they were just happy to like have a plot of land that they that, that was the the American dream wasn't to be Mark Zuckerberg. The American dream was to just like be comfortable to live to yeah. live like yeah. without you yeah. know poverty and where the heck was I going with that <laughs> um, <laughs> wasn't to be comfortable was to have po- poverty oh and so that whole like uh, the life you dreamed of all that kind of stuff so I was like man I don't want to pervade that message of like well you're unique because like everybody's you know unique and like it, like that's supposed to just be some sort of pampering to people what I what what I realized is that I can't get away from this reality that we were all imprinted with a with a, a completely individual set of genetics, and then other things we don't even understand about ourselves. Hmm. Where it's like I don't know where that comes from, but like I'm, that's that's who I am. I don't know if that's genetic. I don't know if that's nurture versus nature or whatever it is. But this is who 
I am and this is the thing that I want to give to other people. And we spend most of our time trying to be this other version that's really a product of what everybody else wants us to be. And if I can just get myself and then help some other people get back to that true self, mm. that, that, that true identity that is a little different and is a little, you know, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's got something to say to other people so that they can also right. <laughs> find that, that, that sort of, that sort of peace. Yeah. Then, yeah, I'll keep on. I'll keep on doing whatever it is I'm, <laughs> mm. I'm doing, whether it's writing something, podcasting, or speaking to a couple of people on. Um, I love how yeah. like flexible you are, like about it. Like it doesn't matter, like what you're actually doing, like, but you know, like this is what I'm passionate about. Like this is like my mission, and yeah. I will like make sure to speak that like over people, no matter what. Well, yeah, and I think that's a generational thing too. Mm-hmm. Like there's um. We all want, we all want calling. Like, what's sure. my calling? I want to know what right. my calling is. What we're really asking most of the time is context. We want to know what, what the context is. So usually, when we discover what our calling is, it's this huge umbrella calling. It's this like somebody somebody told me this once. They're like, I know what you do. I'm like, what do you do? It's like you connect people to the story that they're becoming. I'm like, a totally resonate with that. Brilliant. Yes. I can't just walk into a job and say, hey, you know, an employer and go, well, you know, what do you do? Well, I connect people to the story they're becoming. <laughs> You're hired, kid. You know, like it, just doesn't, it doesn't happen. <laughs> um, and then what I, but what I realized is that there's something about that calling that transcends whether I'm talking to my three-year-old or a really good friend or I'm helping an organization or I'm writing something. Mm-hmm. And that context is always going to change. It changes hourly, it changes daily, it changes monthly, it changes throughout the course of our lifetime. What I'm doing right now will not, you know, who knows if podcasts are even going to exist in 50 years or, you know, but hopefully I'm still connecting people to the story that they are becoming. Like, and the context is always going to change. Mm. And the calling, the, 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 the blessing and the curse of the calling, right, is... We don't get the context. We don't get the specifics, but we do get something that the bl- the blessing is is that we get to um, drop that down into whatever we're doing. Man, Just... your mind being blown yes. right now. Yeah. <laughs> See, I told you this would be a selfish interview. I'm learning, <laughs> I'm learning so much right now. I could talk to you for hours, man. Thank you for just the way that you see the world. Thanks for the way that you help other people see their place in the world. And I never. I've never been so grateful to feel so weird you know? <laughs> story. Okay. I'm realizing even just talking to you story is very weird. It's just this weird tribe of creative weirdos, you know, yeah. as, I, as I've traveled around meeting so many of them in the past six months, you know, what I hear from them is I love story because when I come there, I feel like I finally found my place. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I found my people. And I think what it is, is they're struggling with this idea of as, as artists, as creatives, it's hard for them to find a place where they fit in because mm-hmm. they're so weird and they come to story and because story is so weird collectively, that's why they fit right in. So yeah. thanks for, uh, thanks for championing all the weirdos. Thanks for helping us learn how to embrace what makes us weird. 
Um, yeah, man, thanks for being a part of the story of story. Dude, you guys are doing a remarkable thing. I can't wait for September, and that's just the beginning, you know? Yeah, can't wait to hear your talk. I think he's a genius. He is. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I I'm so glad that you had him come over on the show. He's he's so helpful. I mean, uh, I mean, I could probably talk for hours just about what I've learned from him. You know, when we first met like six months ago, it was right when I was going through this transition of touring, speaking, performing to leading story. Right. And yeah. I had so many passions and dreams and visions for what I wanted the story community to, to become. I just didn't know how to put it into the right words. And he's mm -hmm. so good at that. He's so good at listening to someone talk going, oh, that's what makes you weird. And you should communicate that weirdness this way. He's so good with like messaging and branding. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I feel like for most artists can come across as pretty difficult, but he makes branding and marketing and those kind of yucky words that I don't um, really like really approachable for people and shows. I think he's great at talking about branding from perspective that just helps get out messaging instead of like being manipulating sure. with messaging. I love the way he says, the way he even talks about branding. I guess some could consider it hyperbole, but you know, he said that branding is for cows mm -hmm. uh, and that belonging is for people. Yeah. And I love that because it ties back into that movement idea of, you know, if you want to create a movement, it can't just be about this idea of like branding and forcing. Well, if you, if you want to belong to our club or our group, mm -hmm. if you want to be a part of our movement, you've got to like embrace this image or this thing. It's like, no, we just find what makes us all collectively weird and celebrate that and come together and combine our passions and change the world. I love it. It feels so like such a grandiose idea, but man, when I, when I sit and listen to CJ talk, I feel like I am weird and I should be <laughs> proud of it and I can maybe go change the world. Sure. Yeah. What yeah. was something that stood out to you? I think my favorite part and the thing I took away most is when he was talking about movements and his definition of movements. I think that, I mean, he acknowledged that there's a lot of different ways to define them, but he sees a movement as something that like pushes hope and builds oh, yeah. hope. And, um, yeah, thing. and campaigns build hype. And I was like, dang, that's a good. good. Yeah, that's it really good. is. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Especially in the context of the conversations taking place across our country right now. It's like you right. look at the current campaigns and, and this isn't like a one sided thing. I just feel like in general politics and campaigns, they've, and it doesn't just apply and also to like, politics. So, and, that was his idea. Yeah. And like also like any type of like social movement. The ones that are going to last and are like worthwhile are the ones that build hope. Kind of like what Nikki, I, bringing this back to like our conversation, well, my conversation, but you know, I'm talking yeah, sure. um, with Nikki Giovanni about how like she, the best way to like keep moving forward is to believe that things are getting better. I feel like that is a great definition for like what CJ is talking about with movements as well. I do too. And not to over harp on story, uh, this is the story podcast, but I really feel like, you know, as I've talked to so many friends when they ask me like, what is this story thing you're constantly tweeting about now? Like what happened to all the magic tricks, mm. you know? Um, and I'm like, oh man, it's this incredible conference and this is the type of conference that it is. And they're like, so it's, it's not just another conference for creators. What makes it different? Mm. And the word that I keep coming back to is that it's hopeful. Like the thing that ties all of the weirdos in the story tribe together 
is that it is a hopeful group of storytellers. Yes. They believe that the stories they tell matter, that they are shaping culture and that they, that they instill hope and they hope that they make a difference in the world. It's a bunch of world changers. Yeah. It's about like storytellers who want to tell a story that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. Gosh, I can't, I, every time, every week on this podcast, I try not to repeat the Disney quote over (laughs) again. Uh, and it just, I just keep coming back to it over and over and over again. Right, because it has the really word good. hope in there. Yeah. It is really good. Yeah, I think it's and, totally like the anthem of Story Conference. Yeah, for from sure. From what I understand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially in this season. It's like, that's what we storytellers do. And I love that he ends with, we instill hope. We instill yes. hope again and again and again. So Disney said it. We've said it a thousand times. I believe it with all of my heart that that's what storytellers do. That we get to help people reimagine the way the world looks. And with that, instills hope. And as CJ just so geniusly said, movements are about hope. Campaigns are about hype. And so as much as we're hyping story, my hope is that story is a movement and that it is hopeful and that the stories we tell do really end up changing Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. So, so good. Um, If you want to check out CJ, everyone can go to his website. It's pretty cool and simple. His last name is difficult to spell. So you just go to cjsays.com. It sounds like a game. Like we should CJ play C- says. CJ says. So I love it. Head over to cjsays.com. Definitely check out his podcast. Sounds like a movement. It's, it's awesome. super good. He's always having amazing conversations. And if you still haven't registered for story, there's still time to do that. I had a few people check in because of the Labor Day holiday uh, last week. Mm-hmm. The podcast went up a day or two later than usual. Um, and they missed out on the little window of opportunity to save that hundred bucks. And so we've extended that for another week. Um, I think it's the following Woo-hoo. Monday now. It's like September 19th, was 19th that right? I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so story podcast is the coupon code. If you haven't gotten your ticket to story yet, you can go to storygathering.com, register for story 2016, type in the coupon code story podcast and get hundred bucks off your registration price. So that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the story podcast. Appreciate you guys listening to this little this little radio show we've been doing from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I wish that you guys could have seen. Yeah, <laughs> he just cool like did like hand. a little like cowboy movement. Hand motion. Yeah, you know what it is. What? I'm really weird. <laughs> I love celebrating your weirdness. <laughs> have a great week, guys. <laughs> <laughs>